0: barely? How, how late did you guys stay up? Anybody go to sleep before 11 o'clock p.m.? No? Nobody? Anybody go to sleep before midnight? Maybe? After, after 1 o'clock? After, after 2 o'clock? After 3? Nobody after 3? Maybe, I don't know, there's there's some murmurs out there, I don't know what you're saying. Maybe after 3, 3.15, okay, we're going to settle on that. 3.15 was the cap. No prize for you, but congratulations. (laughs) So, day two, fall retreat. Um, Man, last night was great. Love getting the time to hang out with you guys. Man, I pray that your connection groups uh, were on fire as well. Um, Man, this is the... One of the main keys of Fall Retreat is relationship, right? Getting to be able to grow, be with, fellowship, lean on, sharpen the people that you're doing life with shoulder to shoulder. So I pray that this is going on uh, for you guys this weekend. I, I pray that it went on last night. Um, so let's jump into the message, okay? We're going to be continuing looking at uh, David's story and last night we were in first Samuel chapter 16. And today we're gonna to be in first Samuel chapter 17. And a story that a lot of you are probably really familiar with, David and Goliath. It's a popular story. It's you know, the the young shepherd boy slays the giant. It reads pretty much like a headline, right? And you think of all these underdog stories like uh, the Little Giants, right? If you guys know some, some, some old history of movies. Maybe not. Maybe I'm dating myself, right? But Little Giants, man, beating the Little Cowboys, Icebox, man, all, the, all of that. L- look it up, all right? Look it up. But I think the, the David and Goliath story is like the foundation to what we understand about the underdog story. There's something in us that just loves it when the underdog comes out on top, right? Why do you think we love these underdog stories so much? I think it's because there's a a core emotion that's built within the underdog story that we all identify with. And I think it's fear. There's a fear of being overcome. There's a fear of not being able to survive. There's a fear of not being able to win. And so when the underdog wins, we all want to identify and find ourselves in that underdog story and say, oh, yeah, I've overcome, too. (laughs) You guys feel me on that? So I think this is true. We're going to see this in the story of David today. But before we get in there, I have a question for you guys. Does anybody here have any irrational fears? I have a couple myself. (laughs) I was just walking around outside this morning, and I'm walking around on this, on these, you know, these these pebble roads and in the woods. And you can imagine a guy like me, myself, not from a place like this, walking around in a place like that. Like, I don't know, you know, you know, I I don't know. I don't really do much. I didn't I didn't grow up camping. I didn't grow up in the woods. Like that's not that's just not your boy, right? <laughs> Last night was a stretch for me. I were out by the fire. It's dark. Me and Rudy were the first ones out there carrying wood in the fire pit. And I'm just like, what is out here? <laughs> Am I going to trip over some trip wine? Like, is something going to explode? Like, way too many scary movies in my mind, right? But but that's the reality. I'm like, yo, what is going to go on out here in these woods? I don't know. It's foreign to me. I have a fear there, right? I was sleeping last night, and we have um, me and Rudy are bunking, and we have this... The <laughs> this isn't a story about Rudy. I just wanted to throw that in there. I, I, I just looked at you at that moment, and I'm like, Rudy. <laughs> but we have this emergency exit sign in our room, right? And it's dark. It's red. <laughs> it's not bright enough to, like, light anything up, just bright enough to be really scary. And I'm just like, yo, <laughs> what is it? Like, someone pop out the closet, someone to climb through the window. We have a hole in our little, little mesh window. Just fear all over the daggone place, right? And I got another night of this. Like I, I don't know how I'ma make it, y'all. Lord be with me. But another fear of mine, right? Like, like I've, I've, I've grown up, and this has been a fear of mine I've had all my entire life. Is I have a fear of heights, right? Which is really weird, uh, because. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um. <laughs> this is way more funny than I thought it was going to be, right? This, this, is, this is incredible. This is a, y'all are lightened up this morning. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes, I'm tall. I wasn't even going there, right? But, like, I played basketball, right? I played sports. And we would often fly in planes. And, and like, the height of flying in planes doesn't ever really get me. But it's only when, like, you go to a, a, a tall building you know? And there's not that much barrier around the sides, and it's really scary up there, right? Um, going to, I've been to St. Louis, going to the top of the Ark. I've done that, super, super scary. Right? Roller coasters, really scary. Any roller coaster fans in the room? I can't do them, sorry. But I'm from Kansas City, and in Kansas City, there's this amusement park called Worlds of Fun. You guys have been to Worlds of Fun? Really fun. Uh, I grew up going to that I grew up going to that park and loved it, man, loved all the rides there. But when I was young, there was, this, there was this new ride that came to the park called the Mamba. It's a roller coaster. And back in the day, it was one of the tallest, fastest, steepest roller coasters uh, you could find in the country. And my family would consistently try to get me to go on this roller coaster, and I would consistently try to not go on the roller coaster, like do anything in my power to not. Run around the park, run away from them, stay in the car, like, say I'm sick. I'm not getting on this daggone roller coaster, right? The mamba was scary to me. Until I got to high school and a group of my friends wanted to go to Worlds of Fun. And there was a girl I liked that was in the group that was going to Worlds of Fun. (laughs) And you know what you do when there's a girl you like and you're you're, you're scared. You want to show up. You want to impress her. And so the friends are like, yo, let's go get on the Mamba. And I'm like, I'm not getting on the Mamba. Homegirl's like, let's go get on the Mamba. I'm like, okay, let's go get on the Mamba. (laughs) Let's go get on the Mamba. And you know how it is when you get in line for something. And it's like, I can get in line, but at any moment, if I get scared, I can hop out and it'll be perfectly fine, you know? You have that in your mind, it's going like that. But as you're standing in line, you're talking, you're having a good time, like your fears kind of subside a little bit. You don't even recognize your are anymore. more, don't even know where you are, you're just in the moment. But then suddenly, you look, you look back and you're like, man, I'm far, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm way up here. The line done got long, so many people behind me. If I leave now, I'm just a punk, I'm a coward now, <laughs> you know? And I can't be a punk in front of homegirl, that's not gonna go down, you know, with me. And so I stay in line and I get to the front of the line, and you can start seeing the carts come in now, right? The, the roller coaster goes, boom, 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 comes back, boom. Everybody's just like, ah, yeah, that was so much fun. We get to the front of the line. I'm about to get in my cart. I'm dre- like dreadful, like sweating, <laughs> pitting out, sweat coming down, talking, trying to hide it, right? But in the cart right in front of me, this little girl is sitting there. She couldn't have been no more than 8 or 10 years old or something like that, and she's just having the time of her life. She looks at her dad and says, can we go again? And I'm just like, again? (laughs) But I saw her, and I saw the joy on her face, and I saw the time that she had on this roller coaster, and I didn't know it then, but I needed to see that. (laughs) I needed to see her. Go before me on this roller coaster to show me that the fear that I had was irrational, to show me that I could actually come to. <laughs> a little dramatic, I know, yes, I, I, I get that. But true. I think what we're gonna see in this story this morning is something similar, right? Where we're gonna see a fearful Israelite army. Trying to stand against Goliath and the Philistines, but they can't do it. They're full of fear. But what they need is not to rest in their fear, but to find somebody like that little girl who's going to stand in the gap. Someone to go before them, to conquer it for them so that they know that they can follow too. So as we see the story unfold, we're going to be in verse 1. Look at this with me. I want to start reading. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, don't know if I'm pronouncing these words right, In Ephes-Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Okay, so envision this scene real quick, right? The Israelites are in the promised land. We talked a little bit about that last night. And they had to take a roundabout way to get there. But when they get there, there were still some people groups that were in the the promised land. And one of those people groups were the Philistines. Now, the Philistines, most of the time when they're talked about in Scripture, they're often talked about as enemies of God and enemies of God's people. And so what do enemies do? They, They often come looking for a fight don't they? They often come looking for a fight. And verse 1 says that the Philistines were gathered at Soco, which belongs to Judah. And Soco is already a land that belongs to the Israelites. Right, the Israelites have the promised land. Soco belongs to them. And the Philistines are pushing in on the land. They've expanded far enough to now be encamping here and with the intent to take it over. And so you have these two armies, one, the Philistines on one mountain and the Israelites on another, and they're separated by this valley between them. Look at verse 4. And they came out from the camp, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, underline champion right there, whose height was six cubits in a span. Six cubits in a span. I don't know what your translation says right here, but six cubits in a span translates to something in our day, and it's nine feet, nine inches Goliath was huge. To put that into perspective, I'm 6 foot 8. Shaquille O'Neal is 7 foot 2. Yao Ming is 7 foot 6. The the tallest man in modern history was 8 foot 6. That's pretty tall. The basketball hoop outside, 10 feet from the ground. Goliath is a couple inches short than a regulation sized basketball hoop. He's huge. He had this helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with the coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels, 125 pounds. His armor literally <laughs> weighed as much as many of you. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels, or 15 pounds, and his shield bearer went before him. See, Goliath was strong. Goliath was big. But normally in battle, two nations would fight each other in a traditional combat. We know this, right? Team against team. But you see back in verse 2 that the Israelites gathered in a line of battle, but here the Philistines do something different. They don't line up against them. They send out only one person. They send out Goliath. And they call him a champion. Now, at this point, we don't know if Goliath has ever won anything, but based on his size and his strength and his stature like he's probably won some things. I don't I don't know. But he still has this title of champion. But we have to do some 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 cross training work here, right? Because the word champion that we know, we understand it as someone who has won something. Right? We look at the Super Bowl, we look at the NBA Finals, we look at whatever tennis thing there is, right? And we say, "Yo, this is the champion." trying to relate to everybody. This is the champion, right? (laughs) They they won. But champion in the word that it is here, right, it's not necessarily someone that's won something, but it's someone that's simply willing to fight. So Goliath, he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Or he's saying, choose a champion and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and you will serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were Convicted and full of courage and ready to fight. No, it doesn't say this. It says that they were dismayed and greatly afraid. See, Goliath is all but claiming victory here. Look down at verse 16. It says, for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. It says, Goliath, this great big man, he showed up every single day twice a day just to taunt the Israelites. He's cursing their gods. He's saying, yo, yo, come, come on, you cowards. Like, don't you have a man? Just anybody, anybody, just find one, pick them, come out and fight me. Where is your God now? Or what about your king, Saul? Like, is, is he not man enough to come and do this? Look at you. What a pathetic people. He comes out in the afternoon, and he says this, and he goes back to his tent, makes himself a tuna fish sandwich, and takes a little siesta. And then he comes out again in the evening, and he does it again, twice a day for 40 days straight. See, we look at Saul, and he was full of fear because he was fearful as the leader. And because Saul was fearful as the leader, the army was also afraid. Saul was afraid, so the Israelites were afraid. Have you ever been in this place? When you've been desperate for someone to show up and lead you, you've been desperate for a leader to show up in your life, to have courage. And because they were fearful, you lost courage. See, this is what's happening to the Israelites right now. But then now we see something happen. This shepherd boy shows up. He comes on to the scene. He's sent by his father, but he wasn't sent to fight. He was sent to run some errands, right, and check on his brothers. Pick up in verse 19. It says this, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went. And Jesse, David's dad, had commanded him. And he came to the encampment at the host as the host was going out to battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Continue reading, all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want you guys to see something right here, specifically in verses 23 and 26. Goliath had been coming out twice a day, day after day, right? There's nothing new. For 40 days straight, he's taunting the Israelites. But the one thing different that we see in this text now is that David heard him. I think this is important because David shows up to the battle lines and he hears the same exact thing that Saul and the Israelites had been hearing for 40 days. But he had a completely Different response. Instead of running away and instead of hiding, he inquires. (laughs) He essentially says, yo, what would be done for the person that takes this dude down? Nobody to this point had dared ask that question. And David sees him for the first time. And this is the first thought on his mind. Like, yo, are are y'all seeing what I'm seeing? Are y'all not going to fight this dude? I want to know what it's going to take. What's it going to take to get this dude down? I'm ready and I'm willing. He's saying, who is this dude that thinks he can come against God and get away with it? See, yesterday we heard that the best thing David had going for him was that he was cute. (laughs) It's true, he's cute. But we see he's also courageous. (laughs) He's courageous too, right? Where Saul had been weak, David was strong. Where the Israelites were afraid, David was courageous. But when he responds in this way, everybody around him thinks he's what? They think he's crazy. See, his brothers see him, and he's talking, and they're like, yo, you've got to go. Like, get out of here. You're trying to rile something up. We're not going. You're trying to get everybody killed. We're not going to do this right. Just give us the food, and you can bounce, man. Besides, who has the sheep? Shouldn't you be back with the sheep? See, they were treating David like a little boy. You have no place here. You are too small. But then Saul got word that David was on the battlefield, and he sent for him. Look at verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about Goliath, your servant, me, I, I will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. (laughs) So we got to know David's track record by now, right? He's getting this, this counsel from Saul. And Saul's like, yo, you got to chill, brother. Like you're, you're young. I get it. You're spry. You think you can do what if you can conquer the world? But chill. This dude's been doing this all his life. You haven't been a warrior yet. You're not even of age. What are you doing here? You think David's going to listen to his counsel? So David is hard-headed. <laughs> He's hard-headed. But I think we have to ask a question about David, and I hope you're thinking about this question too, right? How is David so courageous? How is this teenage boy who has done nothing his whole life except take care of sheep, have so much confidence that he could beat Goliath? I think we see at least three things in this text. I want to point them out to us. The first thing is this, that David was prepared for the battle. Look at verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he ever arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You see, David was prepared for the battle by his experience. See, David is saying that this time the sheep were preparation for his calling he had struck down lions and he had struck down bears who came after the flock. And so he's saying this giant human being that stands before me, like he literally stands no chance. He's no problem. And this is sort of like a flex on on, on David's part, isn't it? He's saying, yo, when something comes after something that's mine, I react, I go forth. He was prepared by experience, but he was also prepared by his faith. Look at verse 37. And David said, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw from the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see who he's getting credit to. His experience not only equipped him, but he also had a God perspective. It was his faith. His view of Goliath was like his view of a bear. Why? Because he didn't have his eyes on the giant. He had his eyes on God. See, David was prepared. He was armed with faith and confident that his God would deliver. And I love what David models for us here. He models for us that the way that we can be confident that God will be faithful in the future is to look at how he's been faithful in the past. He's showing us that if God has done it before, then he will do it again. Amen? And the second reason we can see David was courageous, why David was courageous was because he was secure in his identity. Look at verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put on the helmet of bronze on his head, and he clothed him with the coat of mail, and David strapped on Saul's sword over his armor, and he tried to go in vain because he had not tested the armor. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And so David put them off, and then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The first thing I want us to see right here is David didn't take Saul's armor. Saul's saying, cool, you want to go into the battle. I don't think you should, but if you're going to go, you got to go, well, let's do this thing right. Here's my armor. And David puts it on, and he tries it on. He's he's like, yeah, let's do this thing. But then he puts it on, and and he looks like he's swimming in 2X clothing. (laughs) He can't move. He can't reach for the sword. He's realizing that this armor that Saul has wasn't really built for him. The same armor that Saul had wasn't the same armor that David should have had to use for battle. And the second thing we have to see is this, is that David went to battle with his staff. You see, we know that David went to battle with his sling. That's the the weapon that he used, right? He went down to the brook and he picked up five stones and you can feel the tension rise. He probably picked up one and was like, I should probably grab some more just in case I miss. (laughs) Right. He was confident. He wasn't stupid. <laughs> but he not only goes to battle with his sling, he also goes to battle with his staff. See, David wasn't an old man, and so he didn't need the staff for his balance. He needed it. Why? Because it was who he was. It was David the shepherd boy. David didn't have to switch up his identity to be enough for what God would do through him. He simply had to be who he was. I believe there's a word in there for somebody in here. See, so many of us try to do away with the God-given thing and the God-given talents and the God-given gifts that he's given us. And we want to trade him in for something else that we think is better, but it's really not. It may look better, but it's really not. And why is it not? It's because it's not you. It's not for you. It simply wouldn't fit is the only reason. You might want the same major as one of your friends, or you might want to get that internship your cousin got right. You get paralyzed by comparison. But here's what's true. Something that works for someone else may not be the same thing that works for you. What if the things you didn't get because you stayed true wasn't God holding out on you, but it was God blessing and protecting you? See, God can only bless who you are. He cannot bless who we pretend to be. Verse 41, for the last reason why we can see that David was courageous. the Philistine moved forward, and he came near to David, and with his shield bearer in front of him, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and what, handsome in appearance, of course. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? He only saw the staff, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin. I love this trash talk, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell onto his face to the ground. The third reason that David could be courageous is because David knew that the fight was fixed. He knew the fight was fixed. David ultimately had courage in the battle because he knew that the battle had already been won. He says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. It was already done. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. So then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, and they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Now, I don't know how much y'all remember from the story of David and Goliath. But that's a little graphic, isn't it? But it be like that. This is an illustration of how God fights our battles. You see, I've heard this story be applied in many different ways. But I think the most common way that this story is applied is that we want to position ourselves to be in the place of David. We're David. We're the shepherd boy turned warrior, and we're the ones who have the slings, and we take our staffs, and we're confident in ourselves, and we want to go take on the giants in our lives, and that's who Goliath represents. See, and the aim in our life is to fight and to fight and to fight against the giants until all of our giants is gone. But the truth is this, Goliath doesn't only represent our giants, Goliath also represents our sin. And we are not David, we are Saul and the fearful Israelites. We are the Jared standing in line at the Mamba, scared and shaking with fear while the little girl hops off with joy for like the the 10th time of the day. You see, some of you come in fighting this weekend and you're giving a heck of an effort. But but I have one question for all the fighters in the room today. Aren't you tired? Maybe you came into this weekend fighting the giant of anxiety or insecurity or pornography or masturbation or loneliness or self-doubt or whatever it may be. And you're just tired. See, the Israelites were actually right about Goliath. They couldn't win the battle. And you want to know what? We're incapable of winning our battles too. I know that sounds kind of like a defeatist mindset. And our nervous system is like wired to not accept that, right? It may sound like that to you. But think about it. You might have come in fighting your giants, but if you're honest, your giants just keep coming back, don't they? Remember when you said, I'm really going to fight my giant of insecurity and start loving my body. But then insecurity creeps back in, and and like you, you can't stand to look at yourself in the mirror for two minutes. Walking by storefront windows gives you anxiety because you might catch a glimpse of your reflection. Remember when you said, I'm never going to look at porn again, and then your roommates went home for the weekend and then you had an opportunity. Remember when you said you'd never call him again, you said you'd never text her again. Remember when you said you were going to stop drinking. Remember when you said this. Remember when you said that. Remember when you said this. You can fill in the blank with whatever you want. But you're fighting and fighting. And even when you gain a little bit of ground and you think that you've slayed the giant and you think that you've cut off the head, don't we all know that the head and the giant often comes back meaner and uglier than it was before. See, what we think is victory actually turns out to be a nightmare. You may have a little bit of fight in you, but you are alone. You alone are no match for your sin. See, the Israelites were right. They couldn't win the battle. They needed a champion, and so do we. We need someone to stand in the gap, and that someone for us, that champion for us today is Jesus. You see, because Jesus was also prepared to step into history at the right time to defeat death. And he was also secure in his identity as Lord, Savior, healer, and provider. And he also knew that the fight was fixed. He knew that the grave had no answer for him. And like David, he took the enemy's only weapon, death, and used it against him. And he rose boasting in glory. See, David cut off the head of Goliath. He beat the Philistines, but evil nations rise all the time. But Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, and death has been defeated forever. In a room this size, I bet we have some giants in this room. And if I gave you all a mic, we went around here, you could probably all tell me exactly what your giants might be. But company, believing these truths about Jesus, they don't guarantee that you won't struggle in your life. And it doesn't mean that if you put your faith in Jesus, non-believer, that they will all just disappear. But it does mean this truth right here, that in the face of your sin, in the face of your giants, in the face of your unbelief, the battle is already won for you. It's already won. See, Jesus has gone before to secure the victory, and you get to follow him. So now your life isn't lived fighting for victory, but it's lived fighting from victory. Knowing the battle is already won for the rest of your life. Will you follow this Jesus? Could you imagine the kind of life you could live if you actually believed the battle has been won? Could you imagine the freedom that you would feel? Could you imagine the joy that you would feel? Could you imagine the love that would come from you? Could you imagine the peace that would come over your mind? If you could just believe wholeheartedly that the battle for your life, the battle for your sin, the battle that's going to come for you at the end of your day's death has already been conquered by Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that peace? Can you imagine that joy? Could you imagine that freedom? See, when David killed Goliath, the Israelites shouted and ran forward with joy. They pushed back and slayed the Philistines, and they turned around and came back and plundered them. What if they would have just been like, yo, cool, David, you go ahead, and we'll stay back here. We'll meet you at the camp. You go do your thing. You got it clearly because you just slayed this 10-foot dude. Like, we'll see you later, bro. They didn't do that. Why? Because we know that whenever we see Jesus move and he moves in miraculous ways, we can't do nothing else but to follow. Would you recapture that? See, when we believe the battle is won and we choose to follow Jesus, he will call us into the fight and we will see his victory. So, a question I have for you tonight or today is what is Jesus calling you into? I'm about to close and the band can come up. Now, I want to read the end of this text really quick. Look at verse 55. I want to read to the end. It says this. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, and this perspective is taking us back up a few chapters with the conversation between Saul and David. He saw David leave and he was heading out to see the Philistine. Saul looks over to his assistant, Abner, right, the commander of the army. He says, Abner, whose son is this? (laughs) And Abner says, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son this boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner went and got David and he brought him before Saul and he saw that Saul had the head, or that he saw that David had the head of the Philistine in his hand and Saul said to him, Yo, who, whose son are you? Whose son are you? Who do you belong to? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. See, it's good for us to know who David is. David is arguably one of the most Israelites in history other than Jesus. He is the one. He was the chosen king. He was the shepherd boy. He received the anointing and didn't even receive the benefits of his anointing for like 14 to 15 years. He was the one set apart. He was identified. He was the king of Israel by which all the other kings of Israel were measured against. If you were like David, you were a good king. If you were not like David, you were not a good king. And your kingdom was at peril. Your kingship was at peril. It would be taken from you. You see, David is an important figure in history, but here's what's true. The life of David is not ultimately about David. It's about Jesus. See, Saul was mesmerized in this moment by David and who he was. He was mesmerized by his courage. He was mesmerized by his power. and He was mesmerized by his faith. And so he couldn't help but inquire, whose son are you? But the question we should be asking isn't, who is David? We should be asking, who is Jesus? And if you're not quite sure, I got something to tell you. Jesus is the almighty God. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the prince of peace. He is our savior. He's the world creator. He is the lion of Judah. He's the serpent crusher. He's the death destroyer. He is the kingdom bringer. He's the nature bender. He is the body healer, the giant killer, son of God, and one with the Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus is. Do you know this Jesus? Let me pray that we do. Jesus. We love you. And we thank you that in you there is victory. We're thankful that in you that there is victory. Lord, you are the one that goes before. You are the one that conquers battles. You are the one that has defeated death. And so you are the one that can rule our life. So would you lead us? Lord, would you lead us? Would you lead us with the confidence? Lord, you silence the boast of sin and grave. You silence the boast of Goliath. You silence the boast of fear. And you magnify the boast of the host of heaven that say, victory is yours. Death has been defeated in all things and you are saved and made new. Jesus, would you watch this over us this morning? Would you remind us of this truth as we head into connection groups? It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.